This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. If you're wondering what's happening around you, well, we are being forcibly transitioned from an objective, real, analog world and into a subjective, hyper-real, digital world. We are also being transitioned from a sovereign nation, a constitutional republic, and into a continental landmass of a whole bunch of autonomous zones, more or less like the autonomous zones that you saw in 2020 in Seattle. You remember Chaz the progressive leftist Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. But now we will all be broken up into autonomous zones, with different affinities that are important to each fractured group, whether it be an ethnic tribe or a sexual preference or religious autonomous zones. We are being fractured, shattered, and broken into bits. And this will not end up in a red states and blue states endgame. That's what you're being sold on. This will be all sorts of balkanized individual groups leaving the Constitutional Republic and declaring independence, and even to the point of war. That is what this is. It is the final strategy of the big sort. And if you've been a loyal follower of mine, you might remember that I've been talking about the big sort for almost as long as I've been discussing critical race theory and the Great Reset. And if you recall... You might remember on one of my more widely listened to podcasts released on November 2nd, 2020, (laughs) remember that date because it was the date before the 2020 presidential election, and I had named that show The Great Reset, which I've been talking about The Great Reset for almost a year and a half prior, but I really tried to refine it out and help you understand exactly what was going on. But it was essential that I explained the big sort, because the big sort is an integral part of the Great Reset. The Great Reset can't be accomplished without the Big Sort. The Big Sort has no other function outside of making sure that the goals of a refactored subsidiarity, the Great Reset, and for the Great Reset to work, what is needed is a divide-and-conquer strategy. And this is going to be used to destroy the United States of America. If you are against the Great Reset, you must be against the Big Sword. Because the Big Sword is the yang to the Great Reset's ying. Because at its root, that is what the Big Sword is. It is the use of identity politics in a Derridian fashion to tear the nation apart. I mean, what did you think critical race theory was all about anyway? What role do you think intersectionality has played in our nation? Well, the role has been to divide and conquer, to divide and rule, the big sort. And if you're familiar with the Latin language, you probably know that in Latin, divide and rule is divide et impera. Yes, divide et impera. You could use the acronym DEI for divide et impera. That one is curious, isn't it? Those of you that have followed me for a few years might recall the story that in 2009, and I've said this on Twitter, I've talked about it before in some of the other podcasts, 
Well, I had just been to China with a group of businessmen and religious leaders. And then it was later, just about three weeks later, that I was in the parking lot of the Jacksonville Hyatt Hotel. And I was having a conversation with the president of the Asia Society, member of the CFR, by the way, also World Economic Forum participant, and co-founder of the T.H. Chan School of Public Health. This man's name is Ronnie Chan. And as we were waiting for our wives to return from a sightseeing expedition to St. Augustine, I was explaining to Ronnie how impressed I was with China's massive technological development and infrastructure. These huge, modern, glass cities, the amazing transportation, and the unbelievable quality of service that we'd just experienced in China, along with the openness of the Chinese Communist Party, to speak with us. And I commented to Ronnie that these fast advances could never happen in the United States. And I remember Ronnie looking over his shoulder and saying to me, and why not? And I replied, well, because we have the Constitution. And then Ronnie kind of chuckled and explained to me that there were two ways around the Constitution that would institute an autocratic model. Number one, identity politics. (laughs) And number two, which really baffled me, Number two, he said, would be public health. And I have to admit that I didn't fully understand this right away. And as we drove back to Orlando from Jacksonville that afternoon with Kathy Kang and Saul Fallon in the car, with me obsessed, as usual, trying to figure everything out, what exactly Ronnie was talking about. Well, in our conversations, and as me just kind of going through this in my mind, I pretty much postulated that, with Barack Obama in office just over the past five months or so, that you could see the specter of identity politics beginning to rise. You could also see elements of identity politics on the rise. Not just on the left, but on the right. Or at least they were being highlighted by mainstream media. You know, pointing out the contradictions, if you will. But in 2009, I didn't quite understand what he meant by public health. How would public health be involved in fracturing the nation? Well, I came to a much better understanding when Ronnie Chan and his brother, Gerald Chan, gave an initial donation of $350 million to Harvard to enshrine the T.H. Chan School of Public Health at Harvard, which is the public health institute which has shoved identity politics into public health. By the way, our last two CDC directors came from the T.H. Chan School of Public Health. So when you combine identity politics with public health, and you begin to let everyone know that all public health issues are due to oppression of the minority classes by whites, and the root cause of the problems of public health problems for minorities is actually capitalism. Well, you kind of get where this goes at the T.H. Chan School of Public Health. More on that in another episode. By the way, I believe they just gave around somewhere between $150 to $200 million donation, somewhere in that range, to UMass to do exactly the same thing there at the University of Massachusetts. But when you first see the term identity politics, what would probably come to mind is critical race theory or all the accompanying ridiculous insults and accusations of white supremacy and white privilege. I heard even more 
about a lot of this in a meeting at the Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. in 2011 about how Christian nationalism would be the radicalized movement that would help to divide the nation. So we're talking about identity politics, public health, and now in 2011, Christian nationalism. And I didn't hear this from a group of religious folks. No, I heard this at the Wilson Center in a meeting that we were doing for an organization called ARC, which is a combination of the Asia Society. There were Chinese Communist Party members there. There were members of Barack Obama's Department of State there. Um, Folks from all sorts of different institutions were there. And we were running the meeting. And I was sitting there in the back of the room. And as a matter of fact, I was asked to comment on things in regards to religious liberties and as well the Christian community. Didn't really fully understand what was going on, but some things were said with seriousness that helped me to understand what's happening today. What you don't take into account is that in a coordinated effort to disrupt a nation, the strategizing party must control the entirety of the process. All stages of problem, reaction, solution. So first the problem. Critical race theory and the infusion of identity politics by the left into minority groups, with some degree of oppression now being unleashed on Anglo-ethnicities. DEI and ESG standards, which prioritize other ethnicities and sexual minorities over others. In other words, you're talking about true oppression based on identity categories, as opposed to a meritocracy, something that's based upon how good you are at something. Well, then you talk about how the nation was founded on slavery, and how the men that composed the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States of America were all done by white men for the benefit of white men. And you start calling for violence in the streets because black lives matter. And you invigorate your intended affected group. You gin them up. You encourage them to destroy. You set things on fire. And you start calling for balkanization. You even have a black national anthem being played at professional sports. And then you play the American anthem after that. You have the LGBTQ plus intersectional flag. You invigorate the trans community and tell them that the conservative Christian nationalists are coming for their liberties and their rights. And you encourage all of them, the LGBTQ plus community, to arm themselves. I don't know if you knew this, but gun registrations in the LGBTQ plus community skyrocketed after 2020. You start calling for the need of an LGBTQ plus nation where people in leadership can, quote, look and think like them, end quote. That's what you do first. You infuse it into schools. You have drag queen story hours. And that's placed up on Twitter and social media everywhere. Because the next part in this problem-reaction-solution dialectical flow is the reaction. 
So for the reaction, you now ignite identity politics on the right. You emphasize the disparities caused by DEI and ESG. You discuss how the Constitution has failed and wasn't really written properly. And that all of this liberty and liberalism didn't work out so well, did it, Al? I mean, just look at Drag Queen Story Hour. See? And that the Constitution is just a piece of paper. And what we really need is an unbound executive. An American Caesar. To right all the wrongs and to choose violence to solve the problems of the nation. Now, the result of this is that conservative Christian men and women start calling for violence as a way to solve the issue. And then, of course, you start calling for balkanization, just like they did on the left in 2019 and 2020. And you start calling for your own nation, where people in leadership can, quote, look and think like them, end quote. And you'll get a ton of conservatives who are willing to throw away the sacrifices of millions of men who had given their lives for their freedom and liberty. You will casually walk over the bodies and blood of patriots and say, eh, the Constitution is just a piece of toilet paper. And so you divide them by race. You divide them by culture. But you don't stop there. You keep dividing into sexual minorities. And don't forget the Native American Indian tribes. I mean, don't you remember some of the video roundtables at the start of the Biden administration that were put on TV? Where each administration member, of course they were on Zoom calls here because you couldn't be together, so you had each one of the video screens. But where each administration member didn't say what state they were from, but instead stated that they were from a great tribal land or that they were on great tribal land of the Hopi tribe or the Miccosukee tribal nation. Maybe you don't remember that kind of talk from two years ago. And you tell those Native American tribes that that old constitution was never meant for them. It was just for old white people. And you continue to spark up the discussion with Latino groups. You try to fire up the new migrants from Central and South America. Get them fired up about how they aren't being treated right by the white government. Get them to start demanding voter rights. Get the fear-mongering about what the Christian nationalists are going to do to them if they take power. And you explain to those Latino groups that that constitution, it wasn't meant for them. It was meant for old white men and their privileges, and it's just a piece of paper. Now, you do the same thing to Muslim groups in areas like the upper Midwest and Minnesota and in Michigan, and you explain that, you know, that old constitution, well, it was never meant for them. It's just an old piece of paper that needs to be discarded because the strategizing offending party has their prefabricated solution that they wish to reach to end the United States of America by first shattering and fracturing the U.S. to bits. And number two, melt and mold those shattered bits into your preconceived form of supranational rule. 
Step one, fracture. Step two, mold them together. Because as soon as you fracture, you end what was the old, the old constitutional republic. And once you've fractured everything, you've heated it up, and then you can mold it together later to your heart's desire. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. So the puppet masters start with creating the problem, critical race theory and radical subjectivism. And then they stoke the reaction afterwards. White identitarianism and the idea of balkanizing the U.S. and creating hundreds of mini identitarian Chaz autonomous zones. In the process, both the problem, the leftist side, and the reaction right side will advocate for the same solutions. Eliminate the Constitution. Eliminate inalienable rights. Create micro-affinity nations. And eliminate national unity. We've talked about this a lot on this program through the years, but you really don't need to look much further than the Fabian window, which is currently at the London School of Economics. And yes, I was just there about a month and a half ago. And pictured within the Fabian window, which is a stained glass window created by George Bernard Shaw, one of the most evil men that ever lived. Well, on the Fabian window that George Bernard Shaw created, you have George Bernard Shaw himself, (laughs) of course, and Sidney Webb, first heating up a world until it is red hot, and then taking a hammer to that red hot world, hot with conflict, war, and hate, and hammering out a red hot world, shattering it to bits. In between Shaw and Webb is the original Fabian logo, a wolf in sheep's clothing, because that is indicative of the puppet masters on all sides of this game. At the top of the Fabian window, right along the top corner there, it says this, quote, remold it near to the heart's desire. And this particular phrase on the Fabian window was taken from the 11th century polymath, who was also esoteric and a religious philosopher, Omar Khayyam. And contextually, the phrase from the Fabian window is the following Khayyam poem that states, quote, Ah, love, could thou and I with fate conspire to grasp the sorry scheme of things entire? Would we not shatter it to bits and then remold it nearer to the heart's desire? End quote. And that is exactly what is being done in this vicious and dishonest dialectical play. So in this poetic phrase from Chaim's poem on the Fabian window, you have number one, realizing that the entire scheme of things is not in the state that you wish them to be. Number two, conspiring to change those things that you think need changing. Number three, taking the action to shatter it to bits. Number four, remolding those shattered bits into your vision, into your heart's desire. But don't miss this. The entire process is strategically controlled. You shatter things to bits using identity politics. Us versus them, black versus white, Christian versus atheist, essential versus non-essential, vaccinated versus unvaccinated or whatever means you can to demolish any sense of community or unity against your move to take power. 
It's the oldest military game in the book. Divide and Conquer And all along the way, they will tell you to abandon those things that have been our stable anchors. Objective truth. Inalienable rights. The Constitution. Active tolerance. And fair play. They will encourage both sides to abandon these important anchors of our nation. Heck, they won't just make you doubt your local news or your pastor who's just trying to preach the gospel. They will have you doubting your doctor in the medical establishment. Everything and anything will be doubted because we crossed the road into radical subjectivism long ago and a whole bunch of people refused to speak up. I was not one of those. And so, people begin to look for someone to follow who will be jumping on a simulacra-styled horse with a simulated flag who shouts, Follow me! I have the solutions! Come, follow me! And unfortunately, due to confidence bias and other factors, these radical messiahs are plentiful. They're all over the place. Oh, there will be messiahs everywhere. Everywhere saying, Follow me this way to the utopia. I have the way. And like lemmings, people will follow them. Not thinking for a second about how many psyops we've just been put through for the past four years. So we begin to reach a point where everyone is unsure of anything. And everyone is looking for clarity. So the same monsters that designed the original problem have already created the reaction. Because I didn't first hear about Christian nationalism being the thing that would radicalize the right. No, I heard it from people that were in league with the Chinese Communist Party and with the idea of moving towards globalization. That's who I heard it from. I didn't hear it from somebody that just popped up on the scene 15 minutes ago and is telling you to follow them. So again, the same monsters that designed the original problem they created the reaction as well, a neo-reaction. And the neo-reaction is almost worse than the problem. And the neo-reaction will be perfectly designed to sweep up all of the major concerns and affinities that those in the right desire. And here's the thing. If the conservatives in this nation, if those that are Republican and God-loving people, and as well people that are liberal, that love the Constitution and the freedom and liberties that it gives them, if those people would continue on organically and to work together, we would bring the nation back together again. But instead, what you have is a right side that comes along that's saying, no, we must get rid of the Constitution. We must balkanize the nation. Oh, you sound a lot like the guys from Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Well, well yeah, but we want to... No, oh, now you're getting the idea. Because here is the problem. Within a few good ideas are some really, really awful, horrible concepts that will lead to terrible results. And just like the social justice warrior phase of this fabricated crisis, the leaders of this new movement have basically zero track record. You heard of none of them before maybe a year and a half ago to two years ago. But all sorts of solutions and funding go behind their semi-monstrous ideas. Even saying that what we need now in this crisis is a Protestant fascist. Oh, seriously, they're saying things like this. 
you see them saying, oh, yeah, we need a Protestant Franco. But you'll begin to realize that both the left, the problem, and the right, the neo-reaction, both have the same solutions. Micronation autonomous zones, the dissolution of the Constitution, the end of private property. Eventually, they'll start talking about Chester Bullock and distributism and so forth. Yeah, seriously. They'll be talking about the control of religion and the end of the United States as it was. Both will say that religion needs to be controlled. Maybe you need a Christian prince or a vicar of Christ. That's right. What you need to have is a monarchical episcopate. That'll take care of things. Just kind of, yeah, let that first minute start to slide away. In other words, exactly what the combined brain trust of the CCP, UN, the World Economic Forum, said that they would do more than 13 years ago. I heard it. And I have warmed many over the past 10 years. This has always been the plan. It is how you reach pragmatic utopianism without the overarching social scientists needing to fire a shot. They don't even have to get, in, get involved with this. They'll just have us all warring against each other. Because remember... Number one, heat the earth and destabilize it. Number two, bring it to a boil. Number three, inflame identity groups. Number four, let them tear each other apart. Number five, remold the remains to your heart's desire. Let me try to explain it like this. Once you balkanize and fracture this nation, just as George Bernard Shaw told you to, you will never be able to put the nation back together again. And you will have ensured that our Constitution is just a relic on the trash heap of history. But some of you might be thinking, but Mike, if we can just make those red states work, the blue ones, they're, they're going to fail, right? Really, will they? No, they can form an alliance with the Belt and Road Initiative, just like Viktor Orban did in making his partnership with the Chinese Communist Party. But remember, we aren't just talking about red states and blue states. That is a myth. That's the thing that they want you to think is going to be the solution. We are talking about, in reality, shattering the nation to bits. So you will have the nation of Islam that won't want to do business with the LGBTQ nation. And the black progressive nation won't want to have anything to do with the Christian nationalists. And the Christian nationalist autonomous zone won't want anything to do with the liberals or the LGBTQ plus or the trans nation. And everyone, everywhere, in their own religious, ethnic, or social or sexual preference group, will consider their neighbors a danger, a threat, a threat to their safety and well-being. Oh, so kind of like what the British Empire did to the Middle East many years ago. Yeah, that. And so, let's say that you are a Christian and your church wants to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you live in your Christian autonomous zone. Well, you might want to just focus on building your little trad integralist autonomous zone. Because your neighbors to the north and neighbors to the west consider you and your people dangerous. I mean, you said a lot of horrible things about wanting to stone homosexuals and wanting to separate from racial minorities. And you also said a lot of really extreme stuff about wanting to end a woman's right to vote. Well, 
the Latino Autonomous Zone, and the Progressive Autonomous Zone, and the LGBTQ Autonomous Zone, and the Mississippi Indian Tribe Autonomous Zone? Well, they consider you and your radical opinions to be a clear and present danger to their interests and to the people of their new little nation. So maybe they just won't do business with you. Maybe they won't allow you into their little nation without 24-7 tracking and tracing. And maybe you will do the same to them. And maybe you will say that to be safe, all our citizens need to live in communal living. Where like everything is like, you know, 15 minutes from where you live. So yeah, we need to limit air traffic for sure. And as well, make sure that we check everyone coming in through the roads. Everyone who is not one of us needs to be thoroughly screened and checked. You see, we had some sense of subsidiarity in the United States of America before the big sort. But now we have completely refactored subsidiarity. Let's say that you have a podcast or a media show that is broadcasted and live-streamed throughout the United States. Well, maybe your content won't be allowed in LGBTQ nation, or in Latino nation, or in the progressive microstates of America. And so your voice is essentially killed, except for the few people in the new utopia where everyone believes what you believe. And now everyone can accuse the others that are 300 miles up the road of being guilty of thought crimes. Just like in Orwell's 1984. And this will happen on social media too. We will be siloed. And siloed. So each one of these autonomous micronations will be trying to be careful that they don't let somebody else in that has dangerous ideas. You see... We've just created national safe spaces. Divide and conquer. And it will be demanded by both the progressive left and the Christian nationalist right, the anti-liberal right. It'll be demanded by every ethnic group, by every sexual minority. And we will destroy America for China and for the United Nations. And we're already doing it. Because after we are set at war with one another, and the global forces announce that there is a threat with all of those nukes and what was the former United States, and that our warring tribes will be in constant conflict with one another, well, that is when the combined global forces can invade and mold America in the shape of their heart's desire. Kind of like what we tried to do in Iraq and Afghanistan 20 years ago. But there is a chance. There is a way out of this unthinkable future. Because what they want is a fragmented America in a violent chaos. And for the Republic, the path to victory is to not allow us to be divided. To not allow the United States to be conquered to reach out to those who do understand that the liberties that are afforded to us in the United States guarantee our freedom of worship, guarantee our freedom of speech, guarantee our cognitive liberty, and guarantee our right to privacy. And that a unified group of people who understand what we are so perilously close to losing, 
will rally around our Bill of Rights, will rally around our Constitution, and will rally around the flag of the United States of America. Now, wherever you are, get your eyes on the American flag in your room or office right now. I want you to ask this question to yourself. What is the flag for? If you are a nation and everyone's eyes are pointing at the same thing, that's what a flag is for. To indicate a union of purpose. And if there is a union of purpose, then we are all predictable to one another. Because if we know what everyone is up to, and if we have a shared vision for the nation, well, that's the same as peace. And what we have to protect, which is contained within the Constitution of the United States of America, is the value of the individual. The individual has intrinsic value in our nation's founding documents. I mean, do you understand how long in the history of the world that it took to formulate that idea? With all of your faults and mistakes, the law has to respect you. But now, both on the left and the right, everyone is willing to give everything up for some half-witted collectivism on the left or right. And so before you begin to rip up the Constitution for the sake of your own doom-fated autonomous zone that will eventually be taken over by globalist powers, by the way, that's what George Bernard Shaw said that they were going to do. Remember first the words of Thomas Jefferson, who said, quote, rightful liberty is unobstructed action according to our will within limits drawn around us by the equal rights of others. I do not add within the limits of the law, because law is often but the tyrant's will, and always so when it violates the rights of an individual, end quote. Ladies and gentlemen, we must fight for the preservation of our nation. We must fight not only for our rights, but for the unalienable rights of every legal citizen in the United States. For if we lose the United States in our Constitution, we will only be left with authoritarianism. And you must fight for your freedoms, for the freedoms of your children, for the right to think what you want to think, for the right to worship as your conscience dictates, and for the necessity of continuing the American dream, not just for us, but for all of mankind. We must win. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. Thank you.